they signed that contract and they let they 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 promotion no company handle that and they manager handle that you know and they don't know you know i was i was a victim of that i didn't know what i know now i never knew you know coming back up because i wasn't i wasn't able to see anything i wasn't able to question anything because i signed a contract stating that these is my guarantees these is my numbers going up yeah you know so i wasn't i wasn't able to say And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport that, you know, we like to give a bit more, a little bit extra. Um, so you're going to get two episodes in a short space of time. Um, previous episode was, I mean, a bit more of a deep dive into Frank and Eddie. I think this is just more of a odds and ends one, which doesn't mean it's going to be a bad episode. It just means it's a quick scan of some of the stuff that's been happening in boxing. And just sort of, you know, my casual take on it today. Uh, but I want to start by following up on the previous episode where I was talking about the crisis in British boxing. Now, people quite rightly have said, what's the solution? You know, how do we take kids who are talented like Adam Azim, Ben Whitaker, etc., etc.? Uh, what's the other kid's name? Carol and Moses Atalma. How do we take these kids and ensure that they get the grounding they need to be world champions because we want them to be world champions let's be clear i don't want to see these guys fall on their face i just have a feeling that in 18 months time this cupboard could be bare just think about this this time next year we might be talking about no more dillian white as a viable option we might be talking about no more Derek as a viable option we might be talking about no more aj as a viable option um, Billy Joe may never come back. Like there are loads of names that we may not see again, and definitely won't see them in all their glory. So we want we want those guys to come through, but we have to understand that they're not getting what they need at the moment. And the best way to do it is to take someone like a Ben Whitaker. Then let's take Ben as an example. So I think Ben's been really good. He's done a lot of things well. Number one. He nailed the amateur side as far as I'm concerned. He built the buzz. He built a name for himself. He built, you know, he built that image as, you know, Ben, the flashy kid from the Midlands who, you know, if he had his way, would never leave the Midlands. And all endearing. And the lads that I know personally who are GB with him really liked him. Nice kid. I think they did everything right. They looked around their options, right, in terms of who to, who to, who to sign with, um, you know, the the compensation all that stuff they they looked into all of this they they chose a trainer wisely um just mentally pull him out of that that really basic english bubble of you know fish and chip boxing for want of a better expression they also kept joby clayton on board who had been part of the journey from the beginning i think that's also important because joby can get to the psychological aspects of ben in a way that sugar hill steward can't so I think that's useful as well. So as long as those training philosophies don't conflict, you know, you're, you're, you're almost turbocharging your development. So I think on that side, Ben Whittaker has been exemplary. And I think a lot of young guys can learn from that. Where he could develop, and I wish more fighters did this. If I'm, if I'm sat with Ben now, I'm drawing up a list of people. And that list of people is going to have guys like Tox O, it's going to have guys like Peter Obo, it's going to have guys like Crawford Ashley, it's going to have guys like Dennis Andrews, I'd even put Keith Bristol in there. Um, you know those old school guys from like 86 to like 2001? Clinton Woods is definitely in there. Um, who else would you put in there? You'd put in Morris Core. Um, if you had to, you'd put Brian Schumacher in there too. These are all guys who were competitive and active in and around that light heavyweight division. And I would spend time with them and I'd be sat there going, 
Crawford, if you had to box Ben Whitaker, what would you be thinking? What would you be doing? And he'll talk to you. He might even just break down everything you do and go, here's how I deal with that. Here's how I deal with this. Here's how I deal with that. These are the things I'd want to test in you. These are the areas where I'd want to break you. All those sorts of things. And you accumulate that knowledge. You also break, break bread with him about how do you train? You know, that resilience you got. Where did that come from? All these things where you can learn from these old timers. And they'll share their knowledge. You know, you just go pay for lunch or something. That you, as long as you acknowledge it, when you are successful, you could sit down with Clinton over a lunch and go, if you had to fight me, what would you do? And he could tell you. Then you say, well, when you fought Glenn Johnson, well, what was your approach? When you fought Roy Jones, what did you see? When you fought Antonio Tava, what did you see? What made them unique? And what do you think the gap between Clinton Woods and Roy Jones was? Where do you think you missed out? And all these things are the things I'd invest in and I'd have these written down. And the minute I felt I was making significant progress in these, I'd know I'm closer to being ready for not just winning a world title, but getting to that level. Because you look at someone like Crawford, and Crawford did it from Omaha, Nebraska, but he traveled. People forget he traveled as an amateur. People forget he traveled for sparring. So he spent time around guys like Tim Bradley. He soaked in knowledge, how to train, how to be, you know, where are his weaknesses. All of that stuff was done through the hard sparring. The same with Javante Tank Davis. The same with Devin Haney. These guys had such a hard schooling around veterans, wily veterans who knew how to tame their talent. But we don't do that here. So Ben is where Ben is in the Midlands training. Adam Azim is with Shane. Um, and they will bring people into him. But is Adam Azim going out and talking to guys like Rendell Monroe and people say, oh, he's not an, am they don't have to be amazing fighters, but they have to almost be your, whatever your kryptonite is, you know, so what's Adam Azim going to do when a guy doesn't fall over? And the guy not only doesn't fall over, but starts walking him down, you know, you get some time with Junior Witter, Adam Azim, what are you going to do when a guy's not there to be hit? You know, just grab time with these, these wise older heads and just literally let them show you what the weaknesses are and then you can go about developing it because otherwise everything else is theoretical and it's not just them you know i hear the name hamza shira has talked about a lot and he's gone out to to joe goosen's gym to train but look what happened when he fought the first guy in bradley skeet of any talent and that wasn't a prime bradley skeet but bradley skeet knew his way around the ring and hamza shira looked like a fish out of water so it shows that that development part is important because good fighters will find your holes. Or they'll position you that you can't be the best version of you. So that's what I want to see some of these young guys do. There's no way we can have people like, like Tox Owo, Peter Obo, uh, Chris Oko as well. There's a lot of O's in there. Apologies for that. There's no way we can have those sorts of guys. Uh, Tony Wilson, Tom Collins, you know, those OGs. And people aren't tapping into that knowledge. Uh, Davey Stewart. I know he's a cab driver now, but you could tap into that knowledge. John Thaxton, um, even some of the guys we know, like a Jamie Moore, Ryan Rhodes. All this knowledge should be tapped into. I think people go to these guys expecting them to just throw wisdom, but you've got to have the right questions to ask. Make them think. And in them thinking, they will give you what you need. But until we do stuff like that, until there's a real knowledge transfer, we're never going to grow. And this is why we, if you look at this country, every three or four years, we just boot the musical chessboard up in the end. A whole new genre of music comes up. Brand new producers who have no prior history, right? Never worked with anyone, never done an apprenticeship. And we create these new genres of music that are great, but they never sustain because we don't understand how to make songs and albums. And then the next generation come through thinking they've got the answer. And that happens. We don't have knowledge transfer. So no one goes up to Jazzy B and says, talk to me about what you were doing. Let me get some inspiration from that. So no one talks to guys like Jazzy B. Um, you know, no one talks to guys like Mbeat. No one. Whereas if you look at America, there's a whole apprenticeship system. You come up under people, you learn how to do something, then you go it alone. And so that knowledge is constantly transferred onwards and outwards. And that's why their model of the music business is more sustainable. There are probably other factors, but that has to be one of the main factors.
So let's just switch gears and talk about um, Alicia Baumgartner and how she is a definition of just wanting to dig a hole as deep as she can and then prove to the world she can get out of it. Now, we thought it was bad enough that she had failed the test. Then we thought it was even worse that she was telling us that the only test they got wrong was the one she popped for. And, you know, her scientific knowledge means that, you know, she's got all the degrees and PhDs in the world. So her base of knowledge tells her that there's no way it was possible for her to fail the drugs test. Now, rule number one, now I'll go back to Arnold Schwarzenegger in Twins. Rule number one in a crisis situation, stop talking. Yeah, stop talking. I say another word, don't think, just leave it like Dillian did. Didn't put out one statement, disappeared. Yeah? You know who didn't put out one statement and disappear? Connor Ben. And look how much damage that's done to his brand. So Alicia Baumgartner's done everything you shouldn't do in a crisis, right? So she's decided to keep tweeting. She's decided to keep posting on Instagram. But none of it means anything because the world knows that she failed the drugs test. And until she can show credible reasons how and why she failed that drugs test, it's all a mess. So she's out there, right? She's done that a really annoying thing of posting but disabling comments. So she's just getting roasted in the quote tweets. So by doing that, what she's doing is spreading the negativity. Because when you, when you open up comments for replies, it's, it's, a, it's a subset of one tweet, right? So you can have one tweet and 50 replies, but really it's subordinate to that one tweet. When you block off the replies, those 50 people who would have replied are just going to comment as a quote tweet. And then that quote tweet now goes out to all of their followers, high visibility. Now more people know you're a drugs cheat. The stupidest thing I've seen, like, you almost want to tell it, just stop. Stop talking, stop tweeting, go and take a holiday somewhere. Maybe come off these substances. And then just when you think the circus can't get any more ridiculous, um, maybe... <laughs> Maybe the, the least intelligent woman in boxing pipes up, Jessica McCaskill. All right, so Jessica McCaskill joins the boxing voice, you know, another band of headbangers and loose cannons and so on and so forth. Um, entertaining enough, like I'm not anti the boxing voice, but it's run by a guy who really has a, a bad case of megalomania. So McCaskill goes on and goes, this is all a big conspiracy. I'm summarizing here, but she goes on and says, this is all a big conspiracy. As soon as people found out that, <laughs> that Alicia Baumgartner wanted to sign to Jake Paul's MVP, by the way, not a bad move because I think you'll get better paid. Um, yeah, that's when Matchroom decided to release the, the findings. Now, my question is, will Matchroom going to sit on the findings? Like, no one's asked that question. I'd like one of the, the camera outlets to just go, Eddie, what were you going to do with those findings? Were you going to release them? Or were you just going to sit on them? Because we need to understand that we don't understand the protocols around drug-free sport. Because if, if the board struggle to recognize VADA, then they're going to struggle to recognize drug-free sport, right? Like, we're, we're, we're making this problem even worse. But let's go back to McCaskill. So McCaskill's there venting going, Eddie's just trying to sabotage Alicia Baumgartner because she wants to leave matchroom for Jake Paul's MVP. Now... Wow. Unless Eddie went up to Alicia Baumgartner with one syringe of Proviron, well, it was, yeah, it was a syringe of Proviron. No, they're both tablets, sorry. Yeah, unless he went to her with, with Proviron tablets and Primo tablets. How did he sabotage it? Everything she did is willing. Unless Jesse McCaskill is saying promoters have a duty to hide these things. And it all sounded like someone who was pretty um, bitter about her situation with Matchroom. And you can understand it. But I don't think people realize the game. Like, you can't defeat the system. The system is designed to benefit the promoters and to disadvantage the boxers all day, every day. So I'm sure Eddie Hearn gets wind of what McCaskill's saying. And since well, he ain't going to say anything, is he? So he, he sends Frank Smith to to have a hard word with them, saying, if you really want to fight Sandy Ryan, if you want to I mean, keep these belts, if you want to box seriously, you better shut your mouth. 
issue a statement and apologize. Better know what you're doing. <laughs> Better know your place. You know, Frank, we mentioned what Frank does in that really look, Jessica. Eddie sent me to have a word. What you done is naughty. Now go and tell the world you're sorry, all right? And you can fight Sandy Ryan again. Yeah. Imagine Frank did that in this lack of charisma sort of way. So she issues a retraction, but I'll come back to this principle. Once you upset Eddie Hearn, he will get you back. So if Sandy Ryan doesn't beat Jessica McCaskill, be absolutely sure Eddie's going to send Terry Harper in to finish the job off. Be absolutely sure. And you'll know it because if McCaskill wins, she'll have such a short turnaround between fights. And you'll look at it and you go, yeah, he's setting her up for failure. But I think you can expect McCaskill to be on her way out of matchroom. I, yeah. Eddie's a guy that holds grudges. He, if, you, if you disrespect him directly, if you mess with his loyalty and his trust, yeah, he'll get you back. Uh, who was the kid who they did that to? Ben Hall was the kid they did that to. Cruel. But yeah, overall, this Alicia Baumgartner thing is exactly what you don't do. Yeah? What you do do is what Michaela May has done. Say absolutely nothing. Just be like, whew, at least it wasn't me. Yeah, that's all you have to do. Just go, at least it wasn't me. Let me just make sure my operation is airtight because if you were to ask me if Michaela Mayer's on something, yeah, I can't tell you what, but she'll be on something because I know the people she's got wrapped around her. So there's no way she isn't. Like The level of detail that goes into her strength and conditioning and her training, there's no way they haven't factored this in as well. It may not be as extreme as Alicia Baumgartner, but there'll be something there. But overall, I've said this on numerous occasions, and I say to people, if you really want to understand you know, the drugs aspect of it, grab the episodes I did with Larry. If you're new to it, um, I think it's Beautiful Boxing Podcast, episode 77. If you're not, then it's Beyond Boxing, episode 100 with Larry, if I remember correctly. Now, my worry is this. I watch a lot of these young women boxing. And I'm like, how many of these women are having periods? Because... You look at the body fat levels and you're like, you don't have enough fat in you. You don't have enough cholesterol, HDLs, LDLs. You don't have enough of those to be creating the hormones you need. And you can do that short term. But after a while, you get those effects that anorexics get. Because essentially, if you think about what boxing is for women, it's, it's an eating disorder, right? It's an eating disorder because all of these women are boxing way below their natural weight because they're eliminating a lot of body fat. Some women naturally have low body fat and then, you know, conceiving can be a problem and so on and so forth. But essentially, these women are pulling themselves into an unhealthy situation. Um, a lot of them are doing it without medical supervision. A lot of them are doing it with medical supervision. And that's why nothing's getting picked up. And this is what the board needs to look at. How many of these guys are going to doctors who are friendly to boxers? And that doctor is writing a prescription for hypogonadism. Because I can do that. So I can take a compound that will crash my testosterone almost to zero. Get, get a test that day. Get a blood test that day. Show the findings. Doctor says, yeah, you need everything. Right? So I get, I get my testosterone. I might get growth hormone. I can find a way to basically junk my system temporarily. So I get that TUE. Once I've got the TUE and the doctor's prescribed testosterone for me, I might say, look, I've got osteoporosis, and he might prescribe another compound. All of a sudden, I've got three or four TUEs that allow me to run a, a powerful cocktail of substances that help me perform. This does happen in other sports. I'm sure it's happening in boxing. And that's why these TUEs need to be looked into. We should know who's got a TUE. I don't, know if, I don't need to know for what, but let's just know who's got a TUE. And then that way, we can go, okay, that's why that person hasn't been caught. But overall, yeah, don't handle things like Alicia Baumgartner does. Yeah. Sometimes the, when you're caught with your hand in the cookie jar, just own up to it and move on. Now, it wouldn't be right for me to do a pod this week without talking about boxing's favourite flat earther, Carl Froch. So Froch has just gone on the warpath when it comes to Joshua. Now, I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm not saying I haven't enjoyed it. It's been brilliant watching Carl Froch out Porky Porky Russ, like just literally 
just shoot straight for the extreme and just just go straight after Joshua. And it's been it's refreshing because if you look at what Carl did, I think it was his Frotch on Fighting channel where he did this. He almost exposed that that deep state of boxing. You know, boxing's got its deep state. Like Bell used part of that deep state. Darren Barker, Chris Lloyd, um, obviously Mike Costello, Barry Jones has become part of that deep state of boxing where you know they'll tell you Anthony Joshua's world class. They'll tell you that guy's learning on the job, even though he's in his mid mid thirties now. But a lot of it's right, and it taps into what a lot of fans are saying that. Basically, everything we see from Joshua now is a money grab. This isn't about legacy. Um, Hearn said something interesting. When he was criti- he, once again, he criticizes Deontay Wilder, which I find really weird. But it tells me that, that no deal has been done, right? No offer has been sent. No deal has been done. No business has been done between Eddie Hearn and Deontay Wilder's team. I can guarantee it because Hearn would not be talking crazy about Wilder if, it, if that were the case. So for him to say... Wilder has no elite wins on his record. I don't get that. What elite wins does Joshua have on his record? Like, like elite wins. Ruiz is not an elite heavyweight by any stretch of the imagination because he doesn't have names on his record that would justify that. Yeah, I include that win over Joshua. Klitschko's a granddad had seen better days. If we're being honest, Brian Jennings probably did a better performance on Klitschko than Joshua did. Povetkin was never that good to begin with. Parker, we've seen like we've seen Joe Joyce run over him, reverse over him, handbrake turn over him. So who? Pulev? No. Takam? No. Joshua doesn't have any elite wins. Joshua doesn't have any elite fights. That's the worrying thing about all of this. You know, people say Usyk. I'm still not convinced until I see Usyk in with someone we consider good. Like if he gives Fury a hard time, then then maybe that that could be an elite opponent. But Joshua didn't come close to winning that. So to be criticizing Wilder for icing Ortiz twice, and Eddie Hearn's justification for this was Wilder was losing every round. I'm like, yeah, but you, do you think Ortiz sits at home watching that fight, going, you know what, I won every round in this. Yeah, I feel good. Of course not. Wilder iced him twice savagely and not 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 being crazy or wild remember that second knockout was just bang 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 boom detonated on him same thing with brazil you know look at what he did to hellenius at some point hern just has to admit wilder has delivered a better career than anthony joshua beyond a shadow of a doubt because if you look at heavyweight boxing a large part of it is let's just say 50 percent of it is those knockouts, right? 40% of it will be the wars, the rumble in the jungle, the thrill in Manila, um, the fight of the century when Ali and Frazier fought for the first time. Uh, what other wars have we had? Even something like a James Tony versus Evander Holyfield. And then that last bit is the skill element. Like, oh my God, he really outskilled him. And that would be James Tony versus Evander Holyfield. That would be good. Lennox versus Rackman 2 would be another good example of that. Um, and so when you look at that, like Joshua just doesn't qualify because he doesn't have any of that. So what do you do with him next? I just don't think he fights Wilder next because I think there are more suckers that you can, you can sell to the public. I think they will. I think they'll find a softish opponent and it might be the loser of Zhang versus Joyce that Joshua starts to call out. And it might also, he might rematch Brazil. You never know. But he'll find someone who's a softer touch and say, right, I'm going to fight this guy. Might even fight Huey Fury. Commercially, I can see how that would make perfect sense. If they can get Huey active from fighting, and so far we've been promised a lot, but it hasn't happened. And let me just extend that by saying, I wish him continued health. I hope he's all good. I hope he's happy and healthy. But we haven't seen Huey Fury has he even boxed on Sky yet? I don't think he has. So we don't know what's happening over there, but we can only wish him the best and say, look, you know, we'd love to see you back. But Flat Earth Carl is right, man. Anthony Josh is a busted flush. And you know McCracken's probably feeding him lines to drop in, and that's fair enough. But we need more Carl Froches, you know, guys who expose that deep state 
that, that we know exists in boxing, the gravy train where people love the freebies, the free hotels, the parties afterwards, all that sort of stuff that they love. You know, let's expose that because they've got you guys thinking that you're going crazy, that what you're seeing is not what you're seeing. So yeah, credit to, to Mr. Flat Earth Carl. I, I've enjoyed his fraudulent fighting. I, I enjoy that honest take. He has to have been inspired by Porky Russ. I don't care what anyone says. Like, there's no way Carl's doing this without Porky. I mean, that's that's what I'd say for absolute certain. So let's just switch back quickly and talk about Canelo versus Jamal Charlo, which is kind of dividing the boxing world, right? Like, I think it's a good fight. I think sometimes we we get obsessed with weight classes and then forget what people actually stand on the scales at. So if you think about it, Jamal Charlo as a light middle, what's he standing on the scales at? 71 kilos? And Canelo as a super mid, what's he standing on the scales at? 75, maybe 74? I, probably no, no. Yeah, so Charlo do about 70. I think Canelo will do about 76. There's only about six kilos between them. Really. Now think about the times you've been around your mates, right? I'm sure there are mates that you're like, I could have a fight with him. And he's probably got 10 kilos on you. And I know people talk about, yeah, but it's elite. But they're both elite. So sometimes we get obsessed with weight classes and not realize that, you know, Charlo could let his diet go a bit. And he could, you know, take that scale weight to 73, 74 kilos. Then there's not really much in it, right? And then the real question becomes, can Jamel Charlo take super middleweight punches or can he make a super middleweight miss which is what you really want him to do right he wants to make canelo miss he wants to make canelo work at his pace so you take that power out of the equation so it's not as ridiculous a fight as you think like if you looked at it from a street fight perspective yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't say ah the, it's a mismatch so let's see what happens i like the fact that the build-up's been respectful i think charlo realizes that this is being done off canelo's back and Canelo will drive the engagement, Canelo will drive the numbers. Charlo just has to make sure he secures that bag. And credit where credit's due, he's, he's done that well so far. I, I genuinely want to see this fight because if this is the case, then guys like Spence and Crawford might decide, well, that's where the action's at. They might all decide to meet at 160, which would be good. And that would take us kind of back to that Four Kings era. Can you imagine... If Mel Charlo says, right, I'm going to stay at 160 now, and then Crawford and Spence go up there. Maybe Kel Brooks says, you know, I'm going to come back at 160. So, so I think this fight would open a lot of doors in that sense where people go, actually, you know, middleweight's sexy again. And so I'd like a, I'd like a Charlo win. I'd like a Charlo career best performance. And then we can go from there. Because you might see Tim Zhu just go, right, I want to meet these guys at 160 as well which would be great, but then would those fights happen? <laughs> as long as Matcham aren't involved, then you have a feeling that, that all fights are possible. So Terence Crawford was on Joe Rogan. Um, I think it's Joe Rogan, um, the MMA stuff. So episode 145, he's got Terence Crawford on there, who's now sporting a new hairdo. Um, I imagine he's going to grow out his locks. be interesting to see how that works out for him visually. But um, definitely worth a listen. I'm a... I've become a bigger and bigger Crawford fan almost on a daily basis. I, I like his philosophy. I like that simplicity that he brings to his life. His life isn't overly complicated, not overly flashy, not overly showy. He's a fighter and that's all that matters to him. But some of the key takeaways from that that I enjoyed, and I think he's had other conversations, but let's just touch on some of the thoughts of Terence Crawford. So one, if you think about what I said earlier in the episode about Jamel Charlo and Canelo. And I was like, size-wise, it's not that big a deal. Crawford's now looking at, I'd fight Canelo at 168 pounds. And I'm almost like, why not? Because, um, well, so it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because we look at what happened when Kel Brook went from 147 to 160, and that was kind of against the prime Golovkin. And, you know, Kel ended up being badly hurt. So the question would actually be, you know, could Canelo do that? But I don't think Canelo's got the engine Golovkin has. So I think Crawford probably has that opportunity to use his speed and movement as a difference maker. Um, much like Amir Khan did when he fought Canelo. So I'm not necessarily 
um, downplaying it. I think that would be a hell of a fight. I think we should have more of these sorts of scenarios where, you know, someone comes down and waits, someone goes up and wait, and we make, you know, these almost pound-for-pound matchups happen. It happens a lot more in the smaller weight classes, but it's a lot easier because you're only really giving up a kilo or two here and there. So I just, I thought that was really interesting that that's where his head's at. Now his head is almost like, I've completed everything I wanted to do in boxing. Let me have some fun with it. Let me challenge myself. I think that's that's good because how many times do people say, why doesn't Floyd fight Andre Ward? And here's Crawford going, yeah, I'll fight Canelo. So yeah, fair, fair play to him. Um... You know, I also find it interesting that, you know, like how he breaks down Errol Spence. And he, he, his mindset is the one I wish more boxers had, where he's just like, look, bigger doesn't mean stronger. You know, it's just a fight. And I, I imagine Crawford's got the same mindset I do. If you had to fight someone in the street, you're not going to ask what weight they are. You've just got to get into it. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it's a lesson, I guess. So he also had some interesting words about Tank, where he said, we haven't seen Javante Davis against one of the elite guys in his weight class. And I'm like, uh, he's kind of got the same record you have, right? Where he's fought guys he was meant to beat, which Crawford has done. Up until Spence, he'd fought guys he was meant to beat. So I think Tank, of all the people out there, Tank is almost the most alike to Terence Crawford right now. And so he is right. But at that time, Ryan Garcia was seen as a peer and he beat him comfortably. So now we've got to go and see, right, what can you do against Loma? What can you go and do against Haney? In fact, I'd like to see the Loma fight. Um, let's, let's have the Loma fight. Maybe the Shakur Stevenson fight, the Devin Haney fight. Tank could do those. And you know, I mean, that's what we want to see as fans. He also said something really interesting. And I never knew this about Crawford that he spars half of his rounds orthodox and half of his rounds southpaw. And the reason I find that interesting is I had this conversation with guys like Denzel Bentley about should you be able to switch in boxing? And I said, that's a skill you learn very, very early. Like, I was, like I've said before, I was lucky enough to spend time at, at the Ingle Gym when I was at uni. And kids were doing that from like eight, nine, ten years of age, right? So their instincts are... I'm only going to move one foot. Change my angle, change my position, move one foot. That may mean I switch from orthodox to southpaw. I'm okay. I know exactly what to do in all of these positions. And I think from what Crawford was saying, he's been doing that from so young that it's second nature to him now. And that's why I say to people, I don't think you can switch once you're a mature mind and a mature boxer. It's very, very hard because you've got very defined patterns as an orthodox guy or a southpaw guy. So trying to switch and then develop a new set of patterns is almost counterproductive. Whereas if you've got a hybrid set of patterns that are adaptable on both sides and you've grown up with that, there isn't that much conscious switching that's required. But I do also love that Crawford, now that he's champion, is talking a lot more about the business side of things and the fact that most, biz- most boxers aren't taught the business side of things. But... I can speak from a UK perspective, that's mostly their own fault, right? Every youngster I've ever spoken to that wants to turn pro, give them this one bit of advice. I was like, you're going to pick a trainer, you're going to pick a promoter, you're going to pick a manager. You have to pick one person that's not connected to the game that you can bounce things off. Ideally, they're a fan of the sport and they know enough to, to hear your situation and give you advice. I don't see how you go into boxing without someone like that. It can't be a brother. It has to be someone that you ring up and go, listen, they've just told me this. What do you think? And it could be just a two-minute call. And you go, okay, perfect. Thank you. But you need that. If you don't have someone in your corner teaching you how boxing works, you're going to get robbed and you're going to get no sympathy. Um. Do you want someone who understands how purses work? You want to understand someone who understands what, what, event, what an event's going to gross. You want someone who understands what contracts look like. You want someone who understands how to manage relationships with people who aren't from the same background as you. How do you set expectations? How do you agree things? How do you keep them happy? You need that kind of mentorship because your manager's not going to do it. Your manager's got other interests and competing interests in a lot of situations. Your trainer also, your trainer may be like, you know, I need to get six kids on this show, so I'm going to put him on there, whether he wants to or not. So you need that one person who's like, ah, maybe you want to hold fire on this, or 
you know, maybe you want to do this instead of that. Because he was, I think Crawford was referring to the fact that Mayweather essentially kept, kept his money in him. Like Mayweather's never passed the money on. Maybe to tank a little bit, but Mayweather's never passed that money on. And that's what people want. They're like, Floyd, throw the ladder down to us. But I think it's more on boxers to do that. Like Floyd had to build himself up. They should have to build themselves up. Too many guys, it's like the G-unit problem. Too many guys looking at Floyd for solutions and not giving him options on how he can help. And it's true here. I know there are a lot of guys who are visible on TV, fronting, showing off, and in about 10 years' time, they'll be driving your bus, they'll be driving your taxi because they've got the wrong people around them. They're listening to the wrong people. They're, they're taking advice from the wrong people but putting them on a pedestal. Yeah. Imagine you're taking advice on what to do with your money from someone who's never invested in their life from someone who's never lost money. But that's what people are doing right now. But I guess that's what freedom's all about, right? But yeah, he's right about all of these things. I thought just having Crawford out there talking, speaking freely, which he can now, because I think he's still a promotional free agent. So he has that, that luxury of saying what he wants and doing what he wants. So fair play to him, man. More, you know, we need more ambassadors like that. And you almost wish that we'd had this kind of Crawford three or four years prior, but we've got him now, so let's enjoy him. Something I want to touch on, you know, sometimes I've got to, I've got to get in my own bag sometimes and, you know, get some stuff off my chest. So if you remember after the, the Joshua kind of debacle against Hellenius, so I felt decided to have a, a show the night after and... You know, like I said, they, they recruited the deep state of British boxing, right? That's what they did. They got the deep state there. Now, I was interested in this, and I'm going to tell you why. When, when Martin, Andy, and I did our second live show um, in Old Street, the venue told us a number. I think we could sell. It was either 139 or 140 tickets was what we were allowed to sell. But we knew we could shift more. And by the way, we, we, I think we sold out in a day. 139, I still maintain there was somewhere close to 170 people in that room that night because that you couldn't go up and down the stairs. There were people in the shadows. There were people everywhere. People sat on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Like it was, it was rammed, right? It was, it was rammed. It sounded rammed. It sounded brilliant. Like people came together. People left together. There were drinks before, drinks after. It was a real event. Like it was a real kind of you know, flag in the sand moment would say, well, we can actually do this. And when something like that happens, considering the people who were involved, word gets out. Now, six foot five camera jockey was talking crazy behind the scenes. And this is a problem with Coogan. I'm not afraid to say this. I, if you know Coogan well, you know what I'm saying is true. Sober Coogan's fine, plays it down the middle, is a diplomat, won't commit to anything, won't have an opinion on anything. He will, he will always play the reasonable man. It's frustrating, but you respect it because he's consistent with it. Now, fair play, Kooks, do your thing. Once he's had a few, I don't know if it's Brandy, I don't know if it's Jack Daniels, I don't know if it's Morgan Spice Drum, I have no idea. Once he necks a few of those, He's reckless. He says stupid things, things he shouldn't say. He gets emotional, like the, the insecurity comes out, the jealousy comes out, the envy comes out. Sometimes the anger comes out. And it's a shame, actually, because it's like, man, you don't need to. I keep saying this. He's Coogan Cassius. A lot of what happens now downstream doesn't happen without IFL, right? It doesn't. The idea of, you know, talking to boxers outside of the ring, beyond the context of boxing, all of that, doesn't really happen without him, not in the UK anyway. So what the hell do you have to prove to anybody? Nothing. He, like to me, like if you had a boxing hall of fame in this country, Coogan walks in, right? That's my opinion on it. And like, it doesn't make me anything other than honest to say that. 
So for him to be talking behind the scenes to people and it getting back to me that he was disrespectful about our live event, disrespectful about what we do, it's not serious, it's just, it's just disrespectful. The younger me would have just beat the shit out of him. That's why I would have battered him. Don't give a, I don't give a monkey's who he knows, don't give a monkey's who his boss is. I would have battered him. But I'm older and wiser now. He's older and wiser. We've got better things to do with our lives. So we just go, right, let's see who's right in time. <laughs> so, so this live show happens. And it's a, weird, it's a weird thing because it's full of like kind of, kind of boxes we'd forgotten about, right? Who won another chance at glory. Now, there were loads of them. I don't believe for a second any of them bought a ticket. I think they were just comped in from what I heard from people. The media people were comped in, right? Free tickets. So it suggests that someone bankrolled this and didn't care whether the tickets actually sold or not because most people in that venue didn't buy tickets. Like someone said they reckon probably about 200 people max bought tickets. Now, I can't confirm or deny that. But if that's the case, then... Do you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's come on, New Age blow them, blows that out the water because we didn't, we didn't go through the whole rigmarole of getting all of these media people in there. We didn't go through the rigmarole of continuous. There's just, like, using your own channel. Like, you got 800 and, what's it, 872,000 subscribers. You sold 200 tickets. How many of those subscribers are real then? Because even if you had sold to 1%, like you should have sold that out many times over. Why haven't you? Then you're like, yeah, we're a global brand. Most of our followers are global. Yeah, okay. You're telling me that 1% of your followers are not British. Okay, cool. But it did. It was, it was sad. Like he was there. He looked like, what's that guy's name from Miami Vice? Um, not Sonny Crockett. Is it Michael Tubbs? He looked like Michael Tubbs in his... And his outfit didn't go together. It was like a mishmash of like Zara, Gap, and Primark. Um, Eddie was there looking like a supply teacher. And you could just hear from the audio that there weren't a lot of people there because it was just so echoey. But my thing in life is don't throw rocks at people before you've done something. These live shows are hard. Doing a podcast is hard. Being able to sustain a podcast year after year is hard. And all these clowns think they can do it. They are, oh, well, we're IFL. We've got this many 100,000 subscribers. We'll just do a podcast. We'll just do, uh, we'll just do something where we highlight the people who are coming through. Like, like, like that hasn't been done on New Age. Like, essentially, all Coogan's doing is following our playbook. That's it. Who would have thought that the guy who inspired all of British boxing to, to do something is now being inspired by New Age and what we did? funny how the circle of life goes but he now understands that the reason people come to a live show is they want to feel like they're around people they could have a beer with and to do that you've got to have a beer with people and not be a dick that's a skill some people haven't mastered you know when's eddie hearn going to sit amongst the fans and have a beer he's not When's Darren Barker going to do it? He's not. None of those guys are going to do it. So how are you going to even want... You're not going to have people want to come and see you. That's why we never heard a, a lick about <laughs> that boxing brunch after a while, did we? Because these aren't people who are accessible to fans. I am. People know that. You see me at a show, we want to grab a beer, we'll grab a beer. Grab a photo, we'll grab a photo. Have a chat, we'll have a chat. And when people feel that about you, they're like, I can go and see him live because I know what I'm getting. Instead, you just got like a really badly, I like, didn't even look like they, that they'd rehearsed it. Like no one had thought about the actual, how should the, the stage look? It was, it was horrible. Considering how much, how much they've got, how big they are, what they generate, you're telling me you couldn't just put down some dough? What do I know anyway? Yeah. I don't know a fucking thing, do I? But, listen, hopefully now those, those guys, are, well, not even those guys, because I think a lot of the guys at IFL are cool and I don't have an issue with them. Hopefully now Coogan looks and goes, yeah, what those guys were doing wasn't easy. Yeah? Got to nod your head. 
backfire. He'll carry on being a bitch about it. Who cares? Next time I see him, he'll be drunk. He'll talk some more shit. Yeah, it is what it is, I guess. Can't cry about that, unfortunately. But hey, listen. Don't let that discourage you if you ever want to do a live show. If you ever want to put yourself out there, don't let it discourage you. But just remember this. Be authentic. Be nice. Be considerate. And give your fans something. Yeah? Let them feel that you're putting into this relationship as much as they are because without the people who listen, man, what the hell is this podcast? Nothing. It's just me rambling into a microphone. Cool. So let, let's just blitz through stuff. Um, ben Shalom beefing with Matchroom again. Um, uh, I don't, I'm not going to say it's a conspiracy theory, but he does believe that Matchroom are trying to sabotage his business. It wouldn't surprise me if that's the case. Like I said, you know, the deep state of boxing is real. Um, I still maintain Ben Shalom's got this whole Dan Aziz thing wrong. I saw the press conference and Dan shouldn't have to justify a single thing in his career as far as I'm concerned because I was there when no one was signing Dan. Yeah, I was there when he had to do an extra year in the amateurs because no one was really showing that interest. No one understood what we understood. Yeah, that like I've never seen Dan drop I've barely seen Dan wobbled. I've seen him get frustrated because someone was hitting him, but I back his chin and I know how hard Dan hits. I know his work ethic and his work ethic's improved immeasurably as a pro. So I never had a doubt that Dan would make it. I'd always push wherever I could, you know what I mean, to make sure that people understood Dan Aziz is serious. The rest of it he did himself by not losing, refusing to lose. I don't know why Sky Boxer don't emphasize this. If you really break it down, Joshua Boisi never thought he'd have to fight Dan Aziz. They don't talk about it publicly, but they never thought they'd have to fight Dan. They thought Dan wouldn't get to world level and they would. They don't talk about this, but this was said and I heard it. Yeah, they never thought they'd have to fight Dan. So the fact that they're having to fight Dan is a massive come down. It's a humbling experience. But for Dan, it's like, I told you I'd get hit. And now Dan's got that thing where he's like, I will break you. And I hope he does. I love the fact that he had the war cap. Like, he didn't offer me one. I'm, you know, slightly teary about that. But I don't think Sky and Boxer have really put enough into Dan. Dan shouldn't even be, in my eyes, Dan shouldn't even be having this fight now. He should have been put in for that IBF eliminator. Then they could have had the fight. So I think, you know, I can moan about this. I'll moan to the right people about it. I, I don't inherently agree with how it's been promoted, but we are where we are. Um, we get a good chief support in Isaac Chamberlain versus Mikel Lowell, two, two genuinely good guys, two genuinely tough men. Um, my God, Isaac's going to have to avoid that right hand like anything, but he's got the talent to do it. I'd love to see Isaac get that British title finally and then, you know, start propelling himself. I still, I still think Sky should be making a play for Dan to get the winner, not Dan, um, Isaac to get the winner of Opataya versus Bradis. I think Isaac beats both of those guys. They're the perfect size for him. And, you know, maybe the winner of Bill and Smith or Coley. But if I'm being honest, I don't know. If, I don't know if they will because every time you think they're going to do the right thing promotionally, they don't. But we're here hoping. Uh, what else is happening in terms of Britain? O'Hara Davis. Imagine if O'Hara Davis beats Roly Romero, becomes WBA champion, and he becomes a world champion before Yard. That would be really interesting because for ages, Yard has been that guy, the guy that's going to be this generation's anchor commercially, um, getting bums on seats and stuff. And here's O'Hara Davis, years after being thrown under the bus, he's just grafted his way into position. So credit to him, um, credit to Lee Eaton. You know, we, we kind of malign Lee Eaton because of his affiliation to MTK. But he has grafted. Like, this isn't something that someone pulled the strings for elsewhere. Like, Lee's been involved in making this happen, so credit where credit's due. Um, he's definitely carving out a good niche as a manager. Uh, you know what I mean? So always got to tip my hat off to him because I've known him since he's doing unlicensed shows. So for him to be where he is now, you know, kudos and credit where credit's due. Um, what else has been happening? Uh, 
Taylor versus Chantal Cameron too. So Katie Taylor will fight Chantal Cameron again. I think this may be more emphatic this time because I don't see what Katie Taylor can do different. She can't box on the back foot. She's not a great counter puncher. Um, Chantal Cameron's bigger, stronger. So I can see that being the case that, you know, it'll go the same way. And rematches often go the same way as the first fight. But it'd be a good way for Katie Taylor to bow out. Um, but let's come back to... <laughs> do you remember when they complained that they couldn't get the Aviva? And that's why they did it in the three arena. So it's like, okay, I'm sure you can get the Aviva at some point before the end of the year. Or even the IDS. So why wouldn't you? And sadly, I think we realise that Matchroom don't like spending money. Not even as a farewell, and it might be a farewell if Katie Taylor loses, not even as a farewell to the woman who put them on the map as a credible outlet for women's boxing. That's kind of hurtful. And I do feel like, I feel she has been cheated in that sense, but this is what happens when you aren't in the public and you don't share your opinions. She's almost too humble for her own good. But yeah, I thought, in fact, if you did it in the UK, you do it in a bigger arena. But, you know, I don't know what goes on in Ireland. Maybe there's a, there's a natural limit on what you can do in boxing in Dublin for historical reasons. Well, not even historical, just like recent history. You know, do you really want to, do you really want to police the IDS? Do you really want to um, police Croke Park? Do you really want to police the Aviva? Probably not, because you, see, I mean, you, you know what happened last time, and be, that's an unbelievably expensive operation. But that's going to be a real shame. Maybe they do need to bring that rematch to the UK, but pff, not my concern. Wood Warrington. I hope Lee Wood does the business and, I mean, rise off into the sunset after this. But it'll be a shame because then, that you know, I mean, these are stalwarts of the last, what, 10 years of British boxing. And we've got to say goodbye to them and we've got no ready-made replacements. You know, these guys like Jordan Gill flattered to deceive, unfortunately. Larice Bellotti is all flattered to deceive and they were, you know, victims of systemic failings that we've outlined in previous episodes. And also, the last thing I want to say is they need to stop with this match from 5K. I genuinely think when Eddie came up with it, he thought it would be like... You know in Rocky when everyone's just running behind Sylvester Stallone? He thought it would be like that. But it's not. It's like a, like a really crap park run. That's all it is, really. And it hasn't had the desired effect. So you just can it. You tried it. It didn't work. Move on. Listen, on that note, let me sign off because I've, I've given you guys more than enough content to keep you busy this week. So I don't care what happens. That boxing could implode this week. Do not ask me for another episode for a while. Let me just chill out for a bit and enjoy whatever's left of the summer. So take care, guys. As always, appreciate the love. Appreciate the support. Um, we're going to keep doing this for a while longer. Take care. Before you interfere, let me make it loud. No more to prove